Acts 14, 11 through 17, NIV version. When the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lycaonian language, The gods have come down to us in a human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and reds to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul hear of this, they torn their clothes and rush, in, and rush out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only humans, like you. We are bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Good morning, Renew. It's so good to be with you guys today, even though it's virtual, but I'm really excited to be able to preach and I hope that, um, I hope I get to see your faces sometime soon again. But anyway, we are going to be heading into Acts 14. So I actually wrote maybe four different sermons on this because I also worked on this for my seminary class. Um, but I ended up picking just like this tiny part of it to excavate more. So I'm, today we're going to focus primarily on Paul's message of God's goodness in creation and nature. But before we dive into that, I do really want to give you the broader picture of the whole chapter because um, where I'm focusing, like literally two verses later, Paul gets stoned by an angry mob. So we kind of just need to uh, make sure we see like the rest of the picture before we zoom way in. So when we start with Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are in Iconium. And like a bunch of the other towns that they've already visited in the past um, part of the missionary trip, they go to the synagogue first. And we see again, many people believing and many people not believing or being conflicted about believing. And you'll notice again how God's active participation is mentioned, and it says that he confirmed their message by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. And Paul and Barnabas' miracle in preaching, they divide the people. They can't decide whether to believe the Jews in the synagogue that are against Paul or Paul and like the new believers. So a group of actually both Gentiles and Jews ends up deciding they're going to attack the missionary team. And Paul and Barnabas find out ahead of time and they prudently flee and just move on. So I think that was kind of an important thing to note because once in a while I feel like I've heard these sermons that are really like, you should never try to protect yourself, like be a martyr for the cause, like always be bold, like don't ever give up. But like clearly right here they like really legitimately run and that's an okay response because they have a lot of other towns to preach in still so it is not always like this giving up factor when we flee persecution like in this case they were very prudently disappearing 
So the next section is where we're going to focus more of our time today in verses 8 through 20. So we're just going to skip over that for a minute because I just want to let you know what happens at the end of the chapter because it ends the missionary trip. They wrap everything up. So Paul and Barnabas actually travel back through every city that we've visited so far, and they strengthen the new believers. So this time going back through the towns, they're not doing like the marketplace and synagogue preaching and and, um, outreach so much. This time when they're going back through, they're really focused on those baby churches that are forming. And it says that they strengthened and encouraged them by saying, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And at first glance, right, that doesn't sound like that's a super encouraging thing to say to a new believer. Like, I don't know if we would say that today, like leave that out of the speaker service. Don't include that part. But I was really picturing like these people were probably going to face a ton of persecution. And Paul and Barnabas knew that because they were already experiencing it. And so for someone who's already facing the hardships to say, like, look, this is the reality, this is what's going to happen, is reassuring. Because then you know, like, I'm not doing something wrong. This is really like to be expected in my new faith life. So in each church, they appoint elders through prayer and fasting, which ties in to how they were praying and fasting in Antioch when they sent Paul and Barnabas on the missionary trip in the first place. So just, it just seemed like, again, like these are very pivotal practices going on in the church that are allowing them to grow. So they, they appoint the elders through prayer and fasting, and then they just like commit these baby churches to the Lord. Like, all right, off you go. We trust that you'll be fine because you trust God. And I'm just really amazed and impressed by that because I feel like today, I think we would be so much more nervous to give up control over like fledgling Christians, right? And we'd be like, oh no, like they're never going to make it unless they have us. But Paul and Barnabas have like all the confidence in the world. Like, that the Lord is going to protect these baby churches and grow them. So when they get home, they give their report to the church about their completed work. And that was just another word I found so amazing because sometimes I think that we never feel like we complete any work in the Lord and that there's just sort of this pressure of like the next thing to do and And maybe like, did we do enough or give enough? Or like, we should have done even more. And and I just, I thought it was so cool how Paul and Barnabas really seemed to rest after this trip. It says they stayed a long time with the believers back at home in their home church in Antioch. And they just rest in knowing that they did what God asked them to do and they had done it. And it was like, they didn't overthink like what else they could have done differently or like how they should have done this. Like it was like the door of the faith for Gentiles is now open. We've completed our work. Awesome. So that's how Acts 14 begins and ends. And now I want us to um, spend a little bit more time in this middle section. So The events in Lystra, and particularly 
the words that Paul preaches to them in verses 15 to 17 were intriguing to me. And I I chose them because of some of the experiences that I've had during the summer. So as some of you know, as one of the ways to cope with COVID isolation, I actually wrote a historical fiction fantasy type novel for kids. And in it, my characters get transported to a hidden kingdom and they have to learn how to survive there together. So because I'm super nerdy and also not very outdoorsy, I spent hours researching in in books and online survival in nature what edibles you can forage, what natural materials are best for shelters and beds, like how do you make baskets and ropes. And some of you would obviously know a lot more about that kind of stuff because you are hikers and campers and and it won't amaze you as much. But for me, I was like continually astounded by how many things like God made edible. Like I didn't know you could eat cattails and I didn't know acorns could turn into acorn flour and porridge. And they're just like so many like different leaves and roots and bulbs and flowers and cedar bark, like the inner cedar bark, you can weave it so that it's completely watertight. So like baskets that hold water and you can turn it into clothes and all this amazing stuff, especially like learning from how our, you know, indigenous peoples adapted to their environments by watching creatures that God designed that were perfectly created and adapted to their environments. And it just really blew me away. Like I didn't know how much provision God packs into nature. I just hadn't paid attention before. So keep that in mind as we work through this section. So Lystra is the first town that they come to on this missionary trip that does not have a synagogue. There's not enough of a significant Jewish presence here to have warranted a synagogue. So we assume that Paul is in the marketplace and we assume his audience is basically completely Gentile. He starts preaching and he notices this lame man in the crowd who's paying attention. And Paul sees that that man is ready to be healed. And how how does he see that? It reminded me of how when he was in Cyprus, and the magician was trying to stop them, he saw, full of the Holy Spirit, what the magician's intent was. And so it's the same kind of seeing going on here. He's paying attention like in the Holy Spirit. And just as God was giving them those signs to do in Iconium to confirm their message, so Paul gets this opportunity here again to do a sign, and he tells the man to stand up, and the man is healed. Now, I don't want us to skip over this too quickly because I think that's easy for us as modern readers, right? Like I think if you like are studying through the gospels and acts or just reading passages from them, it's like really easy to get a little bit blase, like healing, 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 miracle healing. Yep, we got it. Like Jesus heals a lame man. Peter heals a lame man. Okay, yeah, Paul heals a lame man. Got it, got it, got it. But like, Like, think about it. There's this man who's never walked and he's like leaping up in front of you as good as new. Like the crowd goes wild. They yell, the gods have come down to us in human form. So 
unlike in Iconium and the past places where we see like people really be divided right away, this seems like these people all are on the same track and they're all just going nuts about this miracle. Now, there are people who believe in the pantheon of Greek gods. Greek mythology is full of gods disguising themselves in weird ways when they visit people. And it was actually an interesting note in my study Bible. It said that there was some evidence that like this particular region, like around Lystra or in Lystra, actually was associated with one of these kind of stories that they believed that actually there had been a past encounter with the gods that basically everyone had missed. Like the gods had come in human form. No one had noticed or paid attention except like one old couple. And so they're like living with this like tradition, the history of like, we missed it. We weren't paying attention. We didn't know what happened. And so now they're waiting, right? Like they are paying attention. They're looking for that divine encounter because like they want to be ready this time. Like, so you, you can just imagine, right? You're like, you've just paused in the marketplace. Some guy's talking over there. So you're like sort of checking like what's happening. Like maybe you're going to the baths or maybe you're like a merchant and you're carting in your stuff for the day to put in your booth. And then all of a sudden, like your whole day is just changed in an instant. And there's this like surge of energy because everyone's hopes seem realized. Like the gods have returned to us. Like, hallelujah, it's finally happened. And you drop everything and you rush to help prepare like the biggest party of your life. So when Paul and Barnabas finally figure out what's going on because there's a language barrier, the priest is already bringing bulls for sacrifice, garlands for the celebration, and they are horrified. They tear their clothes, desperately trying to get them to stop this mistaken worship. Friends, they say, we are only human, just like you. And this is in stark, stark contrast to when we saw Herod, right, in chapter 12, like soaking up the praise that his voice was like a god's. And then he gets struck with worms and dies because he was deifying himself. Paul and Barnabas do not want to be considered gods. They're, the tearing the clothes is like a sign of mourning and just grief that these people have misunderstood the situation. So then we get this mini sermon. And as we've seen through our whole series in Acts, Acts is a book that is full of sermons. We get Peter's sermon in, at Pentecost. We get Stephen's sermon in the Sanhedrin. And last week we had one of Paul's sermons in a synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. And in all of those sermons, right, it's to a Jewish crowd. So we're getting the story of the Hebrew relationship with God. And then they're carefully reviewing scripture to show how Jesus is the Messiah and like confirming that it matches, you know, that Christ's claim match the Jewish scriptures. And those sermons are all calling Jews to repent and believe. But here we don't have any shared faith history. So there's no one God. 
There's no common scripture to reference. There's no concept of law and sin. And what is Paul going to do with this? And what I love is that Paul goes right back to the beginning. He goes to a connection point that they are going to understand. And he says in verse 15, We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. I really struggled with this sermon, honestly. Like, it's super short. Paul doesn't seem like he gets very far. Like, he doesn't even get to Jesus, you know, like, the good news. So, like, at first glance, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, how is this, like, the thing that he picked? And it also sort of feels like Paul's description of God might be kind of basic, like, especially for us as modern readers, when we do tend to be more disconnected from nature. Creator, provider, rain from the heavens, crops in their seasons, food and happiness, like, that's it. And the Lystrans wouldn't have had that same reaction because they would have been much more tied to the land and understanding how those things impact their daily lives. You know, like, they just knew so much more about the provision of nature than I did in researching my book, right? Because they're just so much more dependent on the land for their livelihoods. But it says that the tech, in the text here, that, like, these words were barely enough to get them to stop the celebration proceedings. Barely enough, you know, like water, crops, food. Those are the building blocks of life. But I kind of wondered if maybe it just didn't feel like enough for these people because they believed their own gods had created things and provided things. So like how, how was this message really differently declaring something about a real living God. And eventually, it took me a while, um, it dawned on me that these words about God should actually feel as miraculous to us as the healing of the lame man, like that amount of miraculous, because God is proclaimed as good. So, in the Greek mythologies, right, like there are not a lot of stories of gods who care very much about humans. They're aloof, they're like up on Mount Olympus, and when they do show interest in humans, like it's often deceitful, and they're all squabbling for power, like none of them are the main god that has all the control. So they're always fighting with each other, and they're just like a ton of human casualties a lot. None of those gods are good. So this god, the, the god that Paul is trying to proclaim to the Lystrans, this one living god, he makes the entire universe and then provides for everyone in it with kindness, even when they don't know him. And this god 
gives people joy in their hearts, even when they don't believe in him yet, like that's amazing. So though this sermon doesn't go through all the same material as the other sermons, this good news also issues the same call to these people. It says, turn from worthless things, these idols, these fake gods, and turn to the living God. You could use the word repent here, and it would mean the same thing, basically. And this is still a message for us today, right? Nature still proclaims a good creator and a good provider, and we're still called to turn from worthless things to a living God. So a lot of people, I feel like they intuitively sort of know that like turning from worthless things is a good thing. Like they speak to the benefits of slowing down, paying attention, getting out in nature. And you know me, I'm not a huge hiker. I'm not a camper. I really like reading, like snuggling on the couch. Um, but this year, obviously, I've had a lot of forced opportunities to be outside a lot more. So whether it was taking my kids for recess walks or meeting friends only in our backyards, um, hanging out in the Renew Yard a few times, like I just noticed for myself finally, like that really being still and watching and, and just paying attention and admiring the scenery around me, it actually does put joy in my heart. You know, and you just think about how like raindrops on some of these leaves, they, they separate and they all shine separately on the leaf. Like they're like little jewels or, you know, when we once in a while get actual storms and we've got the huge cumulonimbus clouds just like towering up, getting hit by the setting sun, like, and they're just breathtaking. Um, we finally just bought, you know, our first seasonal mandarin oranges and you just peel those open and you're just like smelling the citrus on your fingers and it's like, mmm, so good. Creation still testifies to our good God. And I think God purposely connects himself to our everyday lives in these very basic ways in nature in order to make the reality of this goodness of his more concrete. The fact that God gives us all these things, like down to these basic building blocks, water, crops, food, it shows you how near he is. God wants to be with us so closely that he's part of our daily reality. And of course, Jesus came in the flesh for that very reason, to be with us. Jesus said, I am the living water. He said, I am the vine. He said, I am the bread of life, like water, crops, food. He is the source of all life. A miracle elicits wonder and thankfulness because it's so big and it's so obvious to us. Like it's such an instinctive response, right? But Paul's incredibly short message here, it should elicit that same response. It's 
like wonder and thankfulness, even though it doesn't feel as obvious or natural for us. But that's where I think when we look at kids, like we can really understand how to do that better because kids are really good at being amazed and excited about like the tiniest details of nature. Like I think maybe it's because they're short, like they can just see it faster, like they're actually closer to the details or something. But they really do teach me to turn from worthless things. Like, you know, like what if I'm scrolling through my phone on my Twitter feed and they're like, hey mom, look at this. And like pay attention to see God at work in nature. Um, I watched the documentary, My Octopus Teacher. I don't know if any of you guys have watched that yet. And this guy commits to showing up every day in the kelp forest because he wants to observe this common octopus. And he does this for almost a year. Like it just, the level of commitment astounded me. Like I'm gonna show up every day for a whole year. And at one point they're interviewing him and he says, she, the octopus, she was teaching me to become sensitized to the other. So this discipline of paying attention, it wasn't just teaching him cool facts, like more knowledge about the octopus, like a scientist just like gathering more information. It also tuned his heart to see connection and it awoke his compassion. And it really, it taught him to love something that was completely other than himself. And that really resonated for me because I feel like when you notice God in the small daily details of nature, I do feel closer to him. And especially in the midst of the overwhelm and anxiety of 2020, um, paying attention to like God's tiny, small ways of provision has helped me stay feeling connected. I've been able to access more wonder and thankfulness for God's goodness by trying to see the details. And it kind of reminds me of like a tiny drip irrigation system that keeps plants alive in the drought. Because droughts happen. And I feel like I need to acknowledge that. Like we've been painting this very rosy picture of like how wonderful nature is and how beautiful it is. And yet nature can be cruel and harsh, right? And crops can fail and things don't always go perfectly. And we don't always get joy in our hearts. And so there's this element of like, huh, really Tosh, like that's a very, you know, optimistically rose colored glasses picture right here. So I think that that's something we need to remember is to think in, in both and terms. And actually, I think when you look at the whole of chapter 14, I think Luke is kind of slyly pointing that out by the juxtapositions that happen so quickly that it's never all good and it's never all bad. And so here we get Paul's declaration of God's kindness and goodness, giving us joy in our hearts. And then boom, 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 two verses later, he's brutally stoned by the mob. And a bunch of haters just showed up from Iconium and they like convinced the crowd to stone Paul so fast, they don't even drag him out of the city first. They only drag him out once they think he's dead. 
So like that's how quickly things just got turned around. Like one minute they're trying to worship Paul, next minute they're killing him. So, you know, it's like, how can Paul say with such confidence, like that God is good when he knows this could happen because he already knew the other city wanted to stone him. And here's what I suspect. I think because he had such a strong sense of the Holy Spirit's presence with him on this missionary trips, like we've seen all these little instances where like the Holy Spirit is so actively involved. I think he was able to still see all the positive things that were happening and those weren't drowned out by the negative things. So he knew there were many people who were becoming believers and have knowing that the opposition was there didn't cloud that knowledge. And, and so he was receiving basically this grace to maintain a both and perspective. And it wasn't rosy colored glasses, like everything's amazing. We're just like the numbers are shooting up, you know, like sometimes missionary reports are like that, like so many converts. Let's not tell you about the bad stuff. I got stoned. Don't think about that part. Um, he knows, he knows that there's also the problems, you know, and even in his mini sermon, he acknowledges that because he says in the past, God let all the nations go their own way. And by implication, like that wasn't a good way, you know, things went wrong, but his God's testimony was still there. So he knows what the humans are capable of, but he doesn't fall into the trap of being too overly optimistic or too overly pessimistic. Like he doesn't think, well, now there's been so much persecution that like, obviously I should just quit. He's still experiencing joy in the Holy Spirit somehow through this whole process. I think that's harder for us today. And I wanna acknowledge for those of us who have mental health issues, whether they're just 2020 related or in general, like I don't want you guys to hear um, any kind of message of condemnation in this, that you can't find your joy or that you can't find hope in these little things. God also provided doctors and therapists and antidepressants and all kinds of things that we may need in order to be anywhere close to being able to pay attention to the beauties that God gives us. So when I say we need a drip system and we need to ask the Holy Spirit for the gift of seeing as Paul saw, please understand that that may not be available to you right now and that's okay. And that it's not me saying you just have to pray and it will get all better. I just wanted to make sure that you guys don't hear that message. So in general though, let's ask, let's ask for the gift of seeing as Paul saw and to be able to pay attention to the concrete basic ways that God provides for us and shows us his nearness and ask Jesus to just give you tiny sources of wonder that can feed your soul in these times of drought. And I know we have a lot of gardeners and nature lovers in our congregation. So for you, maybe this message just brought this kind of smile to your face, like bless Tosh for figuring this out now. It probably wasn't new to you, but for some people who grew up with kind of weird messaging around like, don't worship nature because then you're, you know, like, don't admire it too much even, because then you're worshiping nature. 
and then you're not, you're loving creation more than the creator. I don't know, maybe you never heard weird sermons like that, but I somehow came away with a lot of those kind of assumptions and like trying to sort of avoid being too amazed by nature because then it will be nature worship. So if that was you at all, I want to invite you to reclaim this as a way to connect with God, to be reassured that our wonder in nature, our joy in nature, um, being thankful for everything that we can find um, outside, it's a wonderful way to worship God. It's a great way to connect with God. Paul's sermon proclaims to the Lystrans that every good and perfect gift is from above and that the living God is a good God. And that is a message for us today, too. So after this, maybe take a minute and reflect. What are you noticing? What are you paying attention to these days? Is your balance tipped too far in one direction? And maybe try and recalibrate that and go outside and experience the goodness of the air that God gave you to breathe and eat lunch and like really taste, really savor your food that God has given you to eat. And look around at nature around you, maybe just outside your window that he has given us to enjoy. And I pray that these daily wonders of creation and provision connect you more deeply with Jesus. Amen.